Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. The Chieftain series of Scottish romances have been bestsellers and award winners for Frances Housden, but her latest project is a contemporary thriller, a police procedural along the lines of Ian Rankin meets J.D. Robb. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today Frances is talking about why she always enjoys a good serving of mystery with her romance. But before we hear from Frances, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode are available at the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Frances's website and books, a full transcript of this conversation and information about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Francis. Hello there, Francis, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. So nice to be asked. Oh, it's great. You've been a, a real light in New Zealand romance community with your writing, and it's a real privilege to be able to talk to you. Tell me, was there a once-upon-a-time moment when you realised that you had to write fiction or somehow your life would be incomplete? And if so, what was the catalyst for that? I'm afraid I can't say there was a catalyst. Ever since I was tiny, uh, nursery school, books, stories have always been a huge part of my life. Started off with my grandfather reading to me, I'd sneak in between the blankets and he'd, he'd make up stories or he'd tell me stories not because he was a miner and he um, would be on the night shift and I'd come home from school and sort of in the winter it was good because the blankets were nice and scratchy and you could kill your <laughs> toes in amongst them you know <laughs> when you were when you were little it was really cozy but he used to he used to tell me fairy tales but he used to tell me Lots of stories that he'd made up. Yeah, so yeah. I've always been into reading. To begin with, writing was only done at school. Yes. And obviously, people who are listening will have picked up on that Scottish accent. You <laughs> you started your career writing contemporary romantic suspense, really, but you've made your name with this series of um, The Chieftains, Medieval Romance, how did they come about? They've become bestsellers and award winners for you. You've returned to your Scottish roots for that uh, that part of it. Um, a lot of people think it's a lot of rubbish I'm making up. <laughs> <laughs> but the first chieftain came to me in a dream. I was, I was waiting to get in the shower. My husband was in there and I was sitting up in bed just sort of dozing. And suddenly there was this... Highlander and he was this was shaking and he's shouting will this bloody curse never end and I thought who's this <laughs> <laughs> so after that I I had to sort of work out who was he you know what was he doing there what was the curse 
and and that's what started that first book, you know. And I um, I set it um, in an area that I was familiar with. Mm. Some of it I was familiar. With. Other bits I'd been when I was young, you know, and travelling around with my parents and my grandparents in Scotland. So that's um, that's how I ended up with the. 11th century mm. because my grandfather, the same one used to tell me the stories, would take me to the Abbey different places, historical places and St Margaret's Grave is one of the places we used to, to visit. There was Robert the Bruce who was who's buried under the uh, pulpit but um, St Margaret, I always loved to go and look at her grave and so I decided that would be a good time for me because it's the time I'd heard stories about when I was younger mm, mm, and mm. I was familiar with the setting. Yes. So which abbey was that? Dunfermline Abbey. Dunfermline, yeah. yeah. It's where um, the palace was Dunfermline Palace and it was where the first kings of Scotland, the used to live, you know, it started off with Malcolm, he's the one who killed, um, oh gosh, the one in the Scottish play. (laughs) (laughs) Macbeth. Macbeth, he's the one that killed Macbeth. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just an area I was, I was so familiar with. And Malcolm had this palace where the visitors would go. The abbey wasn't actually there, only a chapel. And um, he had his palace there and people... And you can still go down into the ruins and walk around it and mm. see um, artefacts that have come from it, you know. So it's so quite a few of you readers would not be so familiar with the Scottish history, but I get the feeling from the books that it's pretty important to you to get the key events anyway accurately portrayed. I felt that I need to find an episode in history, like a battle or something that was happening in history that I could set my story around so I could use that research and make sure that everything rang true. Yeah, and the books do ring true, even though, I I mean, I don't know much about Scottish history. I did a history degree, but, of course, they concentrate on the English history. So I've got lots of books on (laughs) Scottish history. So there's seven books in that series? No, there are actually six in that series and one single. A novella or, or a standalone? It's a single, yeah, a standalone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the last one, The uh, Bride from the Sea is a standalone. And are you going to be continuing in that series or are you seeing it as...? Uh, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, did think about going back to my roots, which was just contemporary romantic suspense... And I have started writing a police procedural set in Scotland, in Dunfermline, which is where I was born. And my cousin is a drummer. He used to play with Nazareth, the big rock group. And when I was home and I was talking to him and talking about all the things, places he used to go, people he used to meet, that over there he gave my husband as a drumskin signed by James Taylor and he gave it to us last time we were home. And talking to him and I thought, 
what could uh, start this book off? What could be the, you know, the, the incident that started off? And I decided it was going to be the death of a rock star. So a lot of things I've been asking my cousin about, you know, but mainly mm. it's a police procedural. And uh, the hero is a private investigator who ended up getting shunted out the police because of something that happened to him. So Sounds like a great setup. <laughs> it is, it is. I think it's good. I like I like uh, oh, I like getting into their heads and working out who they are, you know, mm. and their character and what their backstory is mm. and mm. that sort of thing, you know, it's what I enjoy. I've become aware of that whole there's a whole group of Irish women writers who are doing police procedurals or crime stuff. I'm not quite sure if there's so many Scottish There's um I've just bought our latest book, uh, the one that wrote the Wire series. Oh, yes, yeah. I've read her books. You know, she comes from Kirkcaldyway, you know, right towards the Nuke of Fife. And a lot of her books are set in that area. And um, Ian Rankin, mm. he comes from um, a little village just about 10 minutes away from where I I lived, you know. Mm. So there are stories set in that, mm. maybe not so much women writers, but um, there are um, police yeah. procedurals set in that. And where area. will yours be set, exactly? It'll be set in Dunfermline. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, um, I'm familiar with it and I went back last time, I took masses of photos of the <laughs> town and I've got my map and my... My book on, you know, yeah. on Dunfermline, my research stuff. So the Scottish thing is very strong in both the medievals and now the contemporary. Mm. What do you think the pull of Scotland is? Well, I think I've found that it surprises me how much people love to hear me speak. And I think, oh, you know, but they... They say, oh, I love your accent. I go to America and they're all saying, oh, I love your accent, Francis, you know. And, and they love the accent in the books. And I have to, not be unkind, but I find that American writers don't always get it right when, in historical ones. That, And it puts me off them if mm. they write something that's mm. spelt wrong or... Mm. You know, a fact mm. that's wrong and that. Mm. So I, I don't really read other Scottish historicals. Mm. Mm. But um, Anne, Anne um, Wheel, she wrote Shetland and she wrote Vera, and that's uh, just across the border in Northumberland. So, and they're very similar sort of places, you know, mm. not big, not big cities but just smaller towns in that where things happen. Yeah, yeah. And the feedback you get from your readers, what do they tell you that they enjoy about them? Well, I've had, mainly I've had four and five stars. Occasionally, ones who, I've had a one star who said, I didn't know Scotland, I had everything wrong, which <laughs> I thought, well, you didn't read my bio. <laughs> But um, mainly, I've I've had good good remarks and good reviews yes. and everything for for my book, and they like the heroes, and I like my hero to be different every time. 
I'd, I like them to be honourable, and I think that's really important in the relationship. But each one has been different. Like the first one, he was very alpha, you know, and she, he took a, for a mistress, a layman, which, because you, you were the chieftain, you could do, because he didn't want to sleep with anybody else because he was cursed. And he'd had three wives and they all died giving birth. And he finds this woman who is barren. So he picks her out to be to be his layman, you know, because he doesn't want to kill any more women by mm. having them mm. give birth mm. to his child. Mm. Actually, so, it's interesting you mention women because the other thing about them, I think, is that the women characters are also very strong. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're going to put a strong man, you have to have a strong woman yes. opposite them. Yeah. Otherwise, they just become... Yes, too, too submissive. Too submissive, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, Mm. I like it to be an even battle mm. <laughs> in the conflict. <laughs> is that accurate historically as well? Were Scottish women? Oh, I think so. Yeah. There were there were um, wives who became uh, chieftainesses. Yes. You know, yeah. head of the clan and that sort of thing. So it's um, mm. yeah. I think historically, there at that time there were women who were really strong. I mean. Just across an island, just across the water, there was a, a woman who was a pirate, you know. And no, they were very strong. They weren't all submissive. They were, and the ones in my books are all very strong. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps turning a little bit more generally to your writing career, mm-hmm. um, is there one thing you've done with your writing more than any other that you think has been the secret of your success? Oh, I think... I had a um, little tagline that Beverly Barton gave me. She was a friend of mine, but she's passed over now. And she said, what she loved about my writing were my characters. You know, that I really got into the characters. And that's what I enjoy about the writing, is having these people come to life. It doesn't matter whether they're, they're a secondary character. I have to know... What made them like that? If you're a villain, why did they become a villain, you know? Mm. That's that's mm. what... And I've got um, a review f- for somebody who said about... Oh, I think it was um, Chieftain in the Making, about all the different characters and that, how they, the villains and the how they all came true and it, it all worked, you know? So um, I think character... I like... It's a character for me, I think. Mm. Certainly when you talk about your characters, they seem very real people to you. Yeah, mm. when you're writing them, they're mm. real to you. Mm. Mm. You know, they're just... You think, this happened, how would I feel? How does she feel? And this is... He says this to her or... You know, mm. there's... Mm. Yeah, you ha- mm. they have to be... I don't write a formula or anything. It's just... And I don't write an outline... Things happen. They happen because of what's just gone before. It's naturally, you know, I don't think, oh, I've got to have a love scene here or I've got to have a murder here or anything. These things happen because consequences of what's, mm. what you've just done. So you're saying really they're very much character-driven books? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Perhaps just changing tack a weenie bit, we've talked a bit about Scotland, but for people who are very vague about their Scottish geography, if you were going to organise a literary magical mystery tour for the Chieftain series, mm-hmm. where would you trip advise people to go? Say they had 10 days in Scotland or even five days in Scotland, what would they well, do? Well, Edinburgh's not in my books, it's in my later books, but um, start in Fife. You go to Dunfermline, there's a lot of historical. There's the Abbey, there's the Palace and that. And then go up through uh, Fife to the Tay. Now, there's there's places in Fife like Kinghorn, and that's where a Scottish king died in a storm trying to get back to his wife and fell down a cliff, you know, because it was such a bad night. So that's another place. And then... Stonehaven, and I called it Dun Otter Castle. That is it's a good walk to get up to it. But I actually saw that in my mind when it, where I decided where he lived, and it must have been for when I visited years ago. So I called it Craganlaw, you know, but it was Dun Otter, and it's a little peninsula, and there's this old castle out on it, you know. Mm, mm. And then... I've got books set in the um, Cairngorms in the mountains, and there's no, there's no castles there or anything, but there's there's lots of these um, mountains that are over a certain height that people go to see. You know, mm. I think it's the Munros or something they call them. I set a castle there. Now, when I that's for my second book. When I, well, actually it. It was there in my first, but it took true to the second book. I imagined it as the one in Lord of the Rings that they, um, it was set into the cliffs, you know. Yes. And I I imagined that. And um, when I got into writing that story, that's when I, well, I discovered the, the little dwarf, in it, uh, Namath. Now people say, "Oh, that's that's under I made that name up, you know, but he became so real to me. And you have to start thinking about him. And I found out that's where he was born, and and he was actually should have been the 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 heir, but his father cast him aside. So that's up in the Cairn Gorms, and then to go further north for. Um, but Chieftain's Rebel, that was set up right in the Murray Firth, right in the very north of Scotland. And and Orkney and Shetland and talks about the islands because there were Norsemen there. And, you know, they sort of went... To, uh, he wanted this woman who was a Norseman. And, uh, mm. So that's right up the top. And then, um, but I think just if you stick more to the coast, there's a a lot of places. Inverness is um, is lovely and and historic. And there's the the loch. You can take a ride on the boat down the the Loch Ness where the monster is. And everywhere you go in Scotland, there's things to see. There's there's um, is a palace that belonged to the Stuarts. 
um, that Mary Queen of Scots used for her um, holiday, sort of holiday palace and that. And you can go, it's Falkland Palace, and you can go around there, and it's set in this beautiful historic village that's kept as it was, you know, and mm. the houses are mm. pink and blue and white. Mm. And that's a lovely place to visit, you mm. know, beautiful gardens, beautiful palace and lots of things to learn about it, mm. you know, so. Tell me, just switching track a little bit, is there a mystery in your own life that could be the plot line for a book? I have to say, not really. <laughs> not really. No. I met my husband when I was 18. And he's a Kiwi, is he? No. No. He, he was English. He was English. But his parents had just come out to New Zealand. Ah. He's a Kiwi now. Uh-huh. His parents had come out to New Zealand and he just joined the English Navy, British Navy, and he got transferred to the New Zealand Navy. So we arrived in New Zealand, neither of us having been there before. So um, it was an experience for both of us, you mm, know. But mm, mm. if I can say anything that you asked me before about the moment when I started thinking I could write. When my son was doing his school certificate, he was having a problem with English. Now, I have to admit now to having left the school at 15 with no qualifications. So my son was going to take his school, say, English for the second time. And I thought, I'll go to night school and see if I can help you. So I went and did all the work for a year and wrote essays and things like that. And um, the teach- I wasn't going to sit the exam. And the teacher said, no, you have to sit the exam and you have to go to a writing, <laughs> creative writing course when you finish that because your stories are so good. So I, I sat the exam and I got 89.5%. <laughs> After one year, I couldn't believe it. But that's the beauty of reading. Yes. I've always read. Mm. And when you read, you learn. Yes. Yeah. And that is, uh, and that mm. teacher sent me off to a creative mm. writing class. But it wasn't till I got to Romance Writers of New Zealand that I learned so much. Point of view. Things like, they don't go out of their way to teach you these things. It's just an ordinary creative mm. writing. Mm. And But I have to thank that teacher for pointing me in that direction. Yes. yes. So, so that leads nicely on to another question that I was going to ask you, and that is, what is the secret of a good romance novel? Oh, I, well, it, it has to have some sort of conflict. They can't start off like my husband and I, falling in love at first sight. <laughs> When we're 18, <laughs> or if they did, something has to happen to part them. Yes, yeah. And something that brings in conflict. But I think the best, the successful romance novels are the ones where you get to the end and you can say, ah, mm. that yeah. was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes you feel good by the time you get to the end. Yes, yeah. Turning now to Francis as reader, you know, this is called The Joys of Binge Reading because we really are focusing on series authors and books that you you pick up the first one and you want to keep going with those characters. Mm. Have you, you mentioned that you fell in love with stories right from a tiny tot. 
What have been your favourite books to binge read? Well, Georgette here, when I got to New Zealand, before that I was reading Mills and Boone and oh, anything I could get my hand on. Women in Love I found in the drawer <laughs> at home. Um, but Georgette here, I really got tied on them. And my mother-in-law, she was into them and we would buy them between us and we'd get the hardbacks when they came out mm. and we would buy them between us and share them. And then my sister-in-laws would read them after we had we had finished for them. You know, I've still got a lot of these books stored away. Mm. And um, Ian Rankin, I love it because you still got his, his uh, character. Um, God, I'm terrible on names, but the jockey... <laughs> Dick Francis, Francis, yes. I read all his. I loved them. My father loved them, and that's why I started on them. Um, um, got every J.D. Robb mm. that she's written. Mm. I love them. Mm. Um, I read Anne Wheel stories, you know, the Shetlands and the Vera ones. I've got a whole pile of them. I've got Tana French, I think it is, the Irish mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, writer, mm. mystery writer. Mm. Um, you've only got to look at our shelves. We've got Lee Childs. Yeah. We've got, you know, yeah. everything like that. I love going back to a character. Yes, yes. And and you see how they develop, they change as they go through the... There's some... There's a... Um, there's a book that he wrote in the middle of them and it was it went back to his past and and where his brother ended up being buried in Paris and it had so much in it you know a Jack Reacher one and Mm. and it was the oh sorry Mm. I'm terrible Mm. um on names and that but it was such a good story and it took you right back into that character's mm. I mean he's got a lot of them and they're about his army but that took you back to his childhood mm. Mm. and he's no that that was really good that mm. Lee Child it mm. comes about in the middle <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to look on the shelf to see if I've, I've got it there. my husband could tell me what the name of it was <laughs> but um yeah no. So circling back from the beginning to now, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all over again, is there anything you would do differently? And if so, what? I wouldn't try to write a Mills and Boone. Uh-huh. Is that what you did? You tried- That's what I tried to write a Mills and Boone. And I should have taken the hint earlier because they kept turning into suspense. I was going to say, even when you were talking about your preferences in reading, mm. a lot of them are mystery or, or suspense. suspense yeah. yeah, And my historicals are all suspense yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. I just can't help it. Mm. So that's why I gave up Mills and Boone. And then my first lot was romantic suspense for silhouette mm. in New York, mm. you know, intimate mm. moments. And New Zealand-based, most of them, weren't they? Well, some of them were. Mm. I wrote one set on Everest. Oh, I didn't read that one, I must have read that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, oh, I'd have to look it up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's 
they were all connected through a family, mm, all yes. these books, yeah. you know. Yeah. And yeah. one of the family was a mountaineer, and that's how we mm. got on Everest. Mm. Mm. But I thought the best thing about that, writing these ones, was I used to live in the country, and the poster used to bring the books down to me in a big box, and I used to give her one. And a few weeks later, she said to me, Francis, when were you at Everest? And I says, I've never been. Oh, yes, you have, because I could tell from reading that book. <laughs> I watched so many videos. I wrote that book with a map of Everest on my knee. Yeah. I did yeah. so much research. I don't mind doing research. And I think that what really, apart from the romance, that's what really makes your books ring true when people read them. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. yeah, that's so, very pleasing. Yeah. So you, you discovered that your strength was suspense. Yeah. Perhaps that leads us on to the next question, really. What's next for Francis the writer? What, what's your new project? My new project is a police procedural ah. set in Dunfermline, where I come from. And I call it, if I ever sell it, <laughs> I haven't got a home for it at the moment. I call it my Ian Rankin meets J.D. Robb. Oh, that sounds set in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm really enjoying writing it. And I see it as a one that can become a series. Yes, yeah. And you, you say you're looking for a home for it, but would you ever consider indie publishing? I might, if, mm. I, if I can't find a home for it. I'm looking for an agent at the moment. I thought I'd try for an agent. I have had two agents before, and neither of them were a success. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm looking for a mm -hmm. different kind of agent. Yeah, now. yeah. But so. indie publishing... I, I'm becoming more and more convinced, is a definite um, oh, possibility. I have a lot of friends who are indie publishing, and I might do that. Mm. You know, I've, I've just got this thing, I would like to get into print again. <laughs> My and first ones were in print, you know. And also it's nice to be able to just focus on the writing, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, you, you have to get an editor and you have to do everything yourself for, mm. as an indie publisher and I don't know if I've got the <laughs> I, I don't know if I've got the um, wherewithal you might say that <laughs> would make me into a good publisher <laughs> so we're coming to an end of our chat Francis so where can readers find you online online you can find me on my website which is Francis com, and there's uh, all my books are on there and I'm on Facebook and I have two pages on Facebook Francis Housden nine I think I am uh, I didn't realise there was that many Francis Housdens and um, Francis Housden author my author page mm -hmm. but I'm busier on my Francis Housden mm -hmm. one you mm -hmm. know just Mm. the other ones for promoting books I must get into it a bit more <laughs> and does your publisher um, also do newsletters or promotions when your books come out um, not really mm. 
So, so you you are really do, doing most of that yourself. I do most of my mm. promoting mm. myself. Mm. You know, so um, do, can have you got an email list? I mean, can people sign up to? No, I your... haven't. But I've been told I should have an email mm. list. Mm. I'm thinking of putting that onto my. But they can follow you on Facebook. Anyway, can follow they? me on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. I'm mm. on Facebook, my normal one every day. Mm-hmm. I've mm. just done a giveaway for my Bride from the Sea, my Armada Selkie Highlander <laughs> story, which is really a lovely story, you know. Yeah, that so. was interesting because um, Selkie, which I'd never heard of before, but it is that a myth that's yeah, it's common a, in, the, in the northern. Yeah, and also I think it's common to Celtic countries. Mm, mm, of a seal that can turn into a woman. Yeah, yeah, shed their skin and turn mm. into a woman, mm. you know. And I thought when I was reading it, you know, what a challenge to make the hero credibly believe that this is possible at the same time as, well, making him a serious person or, you know, somebody you take his, his consider, consider his opinion seriously when he's believing that this woman is turned from a seal and that must have been quite a, a a big jump actually well I had to set it up yeah so that you could believe this mm, mm. so this is a Spanish senorita who the crew are decided they're going to murder because they blame the storm on her and her father's already washed overboard mm. so she can swim so she decides to when the crew's coming towards her, she strips off everything and jumps overboard and swims to shore in the middle of the storm. I won't tell you how she got there because that's in the ending. But she, all she's wearing is a silk shift. And by the time she gets on the beach, this is all in tatters round her. And that's what he believes to be the skin that she's shedding. Yeah. That's how yes. I set that yeah. up. So yeah. it was believable. Yeah. And you also got a little bit of a feeling that he was a little bit unsure himself, but almost chose to believe it at some point. Yeah, yeah. And I'd... Um, Francis, sounds like we're just about at the end of yeah. our chat. So let me say thank you so much for being with us it's been fabulous to have a chance to talk and um we'll have this online in a few weeks i hope everybody can understand the accent (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much thank you thanks for listening to the joys of binge reading podcast you can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com 
or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.